This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this second Sunday of Lent is frankly one of the most dreadful in the entire Bible. I don't mean poorly written. I mean, the heart of it is just something uh, terrible. It's the story of what the ancient Israelites called the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. The story is terrible, not simply because it involves human sacrifice, not only because it involves a father's willingness to kill his own son, it's above all terrible because it seems to set God against God. Look, Isaac was the son of the promise, the son of Abraham's impossibly old age, the one through whom Abraham would become the father of many nations. Remember the story well, hoping against hope, Abraham continued to have faith in God's promise, even as he and his wife became old and then ancient. Finally, his faith was justified as Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to Isaac. Then, oh, some 12 years later, just when Isaac was coming of age, Abraham heard a voice commanding him to sacrifice this son, this beloved, this bearer of the promise of God, to sacrifice him to God. Do you see why this story cut to the heart of Israelite religion? It appeared as though God were not only mocking Abraham, that seems bad enough, but even undermining himself. I mean, how could the God who promised life precisely through Isaac now demand that child back? This story seems to undermine all of our assumptions about religion. The great 19th century philosopher Soren Kierkegaard saw all the way to the bottom of this awful story, and he wrote that commentary that most of us read in philosophy class in college called Fear and Trembling. That's where that phrase, which has become kind of part of our language, came from. It came from Kierkegaard's commentary on this story. What it produces in us is fear and trembling. If you don't find this story disturbing at all sorts of levels, you're just not paying attention. See, here's the thing. Lest this appear to be just a strange story from a distant time, consider this. There are a lot of parents, perhaps some listening right now to me, who rightly experience the birth of their children as a great gift from God but who were then compelled to give those children back to God. 
a disease, a terrible accident, perhaps suicide, took from them the very children that God gave them so graciously. For a lot of people, and I've, I've dealt with them pastorally over the years, the God of love seems at times hopelessly at odds with himself, giving and then demanding back. So what does God ask of Abraham? He asks obedience. Now, I know this is another reason why this story is so hard for us, because obedience, let's just face it, is not a popular virtue. In fact, especially in our culture, we rather lionize people who are disobedient, rebels and dissenters and revolutionaries. Think of story after story. It's not of obedient people. It's of of disobedient people. To be obedient to authority figures seems to be a little nerdy, perhaps even immature. It's when you come to, you know, dissenting disobedience, it seems as though you've come to maturity. But obedience, and the word really just means listening, obedire in the Latin, to listen to. Obedience is absolutely essential to the biblical perspective. Remember, the original sin followed from a primal act of disobedience, not abiding by God's command. The great Shema prayer from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is Lord alone. Listening. Here's the first point I want you to understand about obedience. Obeying God is nothing like obeying a politician or a president or a king. Such people are flawed and sinful, and sometimes they do indeed have to be opposed. I mean, I've got as much of the American reverence for healthy rebellion as anybody else. Fine. Rebel against, you know, wicked kings and corrupt governments and all that. I have no quarrel with it. I don't advocate, the Bible doesn't either, some sort of naive obedience to um, authority. I mean, just think about rebellious. Uh, Israel is against its various oppressors. I mean, so that's not the question here. The point is that God isn't like presidents and kings, prime ministers. God is not subject to corruption. Rather, God is love right through. God wants only what is for our good, period. That's why obeying God is always a good thing for us. That's though God needs our obedience. He needs nothing. But we need obedience to the perfect good. Here's a second point of contrast. Politicians, presidents, kings put out policies that we can readily understand And that's why our rebellion against them is sometimes justified. Go right back to our uh, great founding hero, Thomas Jefferson, who understood precisely what George III was doing and proposing. He precisely understood his various machinations, which is why in the Declaration of Independence, he made a point-by-point case against him. 
go back and read past the famous you know prologue. Jefferson runs through precisely where he disagrees with the stated policies of George III. Okay, that's the way it goes with politicians and presidents and kings. But God isn't like that. Why? And here we come to the heart of this story, I think. Because God is essentially mysterious. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways, says the Lord. That's the prophet Isaiah. We cannot, very often, even in principle, fully understand what God is up to, what God's purposes are. His commands, listen now, which are always for our good. They have to be because God is nothing but love. His commands are nevertheless often opaque to us. What God commands, we don't understand. What God insists upon, we don't don't grasp. See, and this is precisely why we have to obey. We have to listen. We have to abide by what God demands. And this is Abraham's stunning virtue. That he was willing to obey and to trust even when that obedience seemed the height of folly, even when that obedience seemed to set him against God, to set God against himself, he trusted because he knew that God is love, and he also understood that God's ways are often opaque to us. Read the book of Job now for the fuller accounting of all this, of why God's ways are opaque. Abraham listened, trusted, he had faith, he obeyed. Now, friends, with all that in mind, let's turn to the gospel, which is St. Mark's magnificent account of the transfiguration. Jesus leads Peter, James, and John, his three most intimate disciples, up a high mountain That's biblical code, of course, for an encounter with God. Very often in the Bible, the great encounters with God happen on mountains. And there he was, transfigured before them, transformed, metamorphosed before them, his clothes becoming dazzlingly white. And two of the greatest figures of Israelite history appearing with him. What are we seeing here? We, along with the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, are getting a privileged glimpse of who Jesus really is, what heaven is like, what God is finally all about. Meaning, purpose, vision, illumination, all of it for that brief shining moment was stunningly on offer. And this is why Peter says, Rabbi, It's good that we are here. For that one moment, they got it. They saw. They understood. The curtain was 
pulled back. The divine purposes were on display. And because St. Mark wrote about this, this vision has become available to all of us down through the ages. Here's the point. They saw what Abraham intuited in faith. They were given what faith anticipates. It was as though even now God gave them a glimpse of the perfection in life to come. Now, why? Why? Because they were about to go through the crucible of the passion with Jesus. That the Son of Man would have to suffer. That the path to life would be precisely through death. None of that would make a lick of sense to them. We hear that in Peter's line, don't we? Lord, I mean, God forbid that whatever happened to you. You see how they were in the same crucible that Abraham was in. But they were given this great sight to awaken and confirm and justify their faith. See, and this is why it's so important as the story comes to a close. The voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. What was the primordial problem? Disobedience. Not accepting in faith what God is about, even when we can't see it. And so they are told, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. It's fundamentally the faith that Abraham had. Listening to God, obeying God, even when God seems to be at odds with himself even when nothing in front of you makes a bit of sense. Friends, take courage from the great vision of the transfiguration. Learn again what it means to trust, to listen, to have faith. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Four years in the making, and it's finally here. Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family, and friends? Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at catholicismseries.com or call 1-866-928-1237. That's 1-866-928-1237.